We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the lesson is forgiveness. And I'm going to argue that the only way we can remain the United States rather than becoming the divided states is to learn the biblical lesson, the historical lesson, that we must forgive. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. Appreciate your loyalty. Today's topic is forgiveness, and I'm going to use an interesting context to talk about that. I'm going to go to a teacher, a theologian, a man that I follow from Australia. His name is Martin Isles. And he recently wrote something that is excellent, and I'm going to use it as the platform, the foundation, the springboard from which I will speak to the issue of forgiveness today. And I'm going to use this, as he does in Australia, to point out the fact that our current political agenda of critical theory, of dividing rather than uniting, of pointing outward and blaming everyone else for everything that's wrong rather than forgiving those that have wronged us, and looking inward and recognizing that we, of all people, the person you see in the mirror is just as much the problem as anyone else who has harmed you and offended you and done something wrong to you or your ancestors. The history of the United States is grounded in forgiveness. Did you realize that? The United States of America forgave Great Britain. We have a great relationship with England, with Great Britain. Why? Because we forgave them. The United States of America has not become a divided states of America as the result of our Civil War. We didn't have the North and the South after the Civil War, did we? We had one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, because the North forgave the South. And... The South forgave the North. Oh, you may say it was not perfect, and I'm not arguing it was, but the principle there was to forgive and move forward rather than hold grudges and exercise payback. Frankly, that's why we had monuments to Confederate soldiers in the South, because the North did not make that illegal because it recognized that there were men and women who sacrificed their lives, and there were people still alive who lost family members in that battle. And to continue to put your thumb on those people or your foot on their neck and to hold them down in anger and resentment for what they did, though it may have been wrong, would have done nothing but divide our country further. So there was a spirit of forgiveness Martin Luther King Jr. grounded his letter in the Birmingham jail to the principle of forgiveness and unity rather than retribution, payback, and revenge and division. 
So today I'm going to use Martin Isles and his recent post on the situation in Australia right now. You're going to find it very interesting, I think. Uh, I do. Because it is a message to America. What's going on in Australia right now will not stay in Australia. In fact, it's already left there. It's permeated the entire world. It's this issue of, I want mine, you did this to me, and until I get payback, until I get my pound of flesh, until I get what I deserve because what you did to me and my ancestors, nothing will be right. That's not an attitude that's going to lead to freedom. It's going to lead to more anger, resentment, power, and control. And Martin Isles gets it. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So I want to use this post that I came across, stumbled across yesterday from Martin Isles. I follow him. You should likewise. Look him up on Facebook and just follow him there. It's Martin Isles, M-A-R-T-Y-N, Isles, uh, I-L-E-S, Martin Isles. He has a podcast, and he also writes. He's very bright, and I agree with almost everything he says. So if you want to follow him, I think you'll find it very helpful and interesting. Well, he posted yesterday, he posted this comment on race relations in Australia. Uh, Here's what he says. One of the biggest emerging agendas in Australia relates to race relations. We've seen race superheated in America, he says, into a socially corrosive, cancerous, conflicted issue that is negatively affecting the social fabric of the entire country. Full stop right there. That's so true, isn't it? He's saying, look, Australia has been different than America. America has a superheated problem right now, a problem that has become cancerous and that is negatively affecting the social fabric of the entire country of the United States of America. He says this, South Africa is grappling with even worse. Now, then he goes on and he says this. It's very interesting. I'm not Australian, so I'm learning something here. He says, in recent decades, Australia has not had the same simmering tensions. A lot of focus was on the fact that we are surely the most successful multicultural country on the face of the earth, where race has become almost irrelevant in the social and political context of our country. That means there isn't much for the political activists to fan into flames, but they are bent on changing that. Isn't that an interesting comment on Australia? As an Australian, he's arguing that the social, the racial tensions that exist in other countries like South Africa, and he's arguing in the United States, have not traditionally existed in Australia, and that they have truly been a melting pot that doesn't focus on race at all and that the tensions that we experience here in the United States don't exist, or at least haven't existed in Australia. But then he goes on and he says this, a glance at the latest Australian school curriculum, there you go, the schools, shows it is at a saturation point with racial and indigenous issues. It is overwhelming, all-encompassing, and taught in an exclusively negative way. Critical theory. The pervasive nature of critical theory, not only in the United States, but around the world. And he's saying it's taking effect there in Australia, in their public school curriculum. He says it's pervasive, all-encompassing, and exclusively negative. It's a saturation point where they're 
drawing conflict out of out of situations where there previously was at least by and large reconciliation and people were just one they were one as australians they weren't dividing themselves he goes on and says this the current government is moving quickly to institutionalize representation by race they're, they're trying to even make it uh, a constitutional representation to divide the people of australia into racial categories even even as they're represented in the Constitution. He says this is a profound and structural change based on race, and the project is dividing us. It's not advancing us. He then goes on and says this. Now, this is what I want you to hear. This is what happens when there is no real ethic of forgiveness in a culture. Now, why is he saying that? It's obvious. He says that, when we approach the present with all of the baggage of the past, when we make present demands which are shaped entirely by past wrongs, we are angry, we are resentful, and we are perpetually unsatisfied because our demands, the way we approach the present with the baggage of the past, our demands will always, he says, be unsatisfiable. And he says this, and nothing, I repeat, nothing can make anything right because those wrongs that were suffered in the past are great wrongs and the clock cannot be turned back. We can't go back and make them non-existent. And if we continue to focus on them, he says, nobody is prepared to let them go. So what do you have? Stalemate. And then Mark Niles says this, but pretty much every single Australian hates that aspect of the past. Every Australian today wants to do tomorrow better. Every Australian wants things to be all right. And I suspect most are willing to do whatever they reasonably can personally to practically help. We weren't there then, but we are here now. But it cannot work unless we stop saying we're sorry and focusing on the past because it cannot work unless we start a new day in the power of forgiveness. Spot on. Saying you're sorry is very different than saying, please forgive me. And you granting forgiveness is, is much different than hearing somebody say they're sorry, but yet hanging on to the thing that they're saying they're sorry for and demanding retribution, uh, demanding something in, in exchange for that statement of sorrow. Forgiveness forgives. Having a relationship with somebody because they said they're sorry and you expect them to make it right is a totally different relationship. I, I think right now, and I'm going to insert this before I go on and finish his commentary. I think of what Eddie Huff my friend in Tulsa said years ago, if you're listening right now and you don't know who Eddie is, he was a, he was a co-host uh, with Pat Campbell on the Pat Campbell Show for a number of years. In fact, it was through Eddie Huff that I was first invited into that particular radio station and got a, associated with Pat Campbell and became Pat Campbell's routine Friday morning, quote-unquote, conservative religious guy to comment on the weekly news accordingly. Eddie Huff 
uh, not that it matters, but it does for the sake of this, happens to be black. He's a conservative black man, meaning he believes in conserving the time-tested truths of God as the foundation for his worldview. And he engaged with the Pat Campbell Show accordingly on a routine basis. I believe he was on daily for a number of years with Pat. So one day I posted something on Facebook or social media where there was a conservative Republican out there that had what I thought was an interesting solution to um, the ongoing claims that the African-American, the black population of the United States had been, had been um, done wrong in the past, which is clearly true. And there was a way to solve that through tax incentives and business incentives to the black community. Basically, this Republican, conservative Republican, had an interesting tax base, economic base, um, idea for reparations. Now, he wasn't calling it reparations, but that's essentially what it was. We could repair the past by giving tax incentives and business incentives to the future that showed favor to a given group who deserved the reparations that those incentives would bring forth. Now, I reposted this. I thought it was interesting. Eddie Huff challenged it immediately and kind of blew me, <laughs> blew me out of the saddle with his objection. And I, I learned a lot. He said, Everett, this is not the right approach because this is an approach that focuses on the past, and I deserve payback. It is never going to be solved. The black-white issue in the United States, the racial conflict and tension in the United States, will never be solved until we teach forgiveness. He said the solution is in forgiveness, not reparations. Reparations is, you said you're sorry, now give me this. Forgiveness is, you said you're, you were wrong, and you're asking me to forgive you, therefore I will, and I'm burying the past. That's the only solution to racial conflict, said Eddie Huff. And you know what? He's right. He's right. Martin Isles says this. There is nothing else that can actually be done. If we really want to solve this problem, there's nothing else that can be done other than the power of forgiveness. And he says this. How do I know? Because it's the way God dealt with my past. He knew it was the only way. Literally, there was nothing else that could work. The past isn't going to change. What I've done wrong, is Martin Isles is saying right now, what I've done wrong cannot be erased. It, and if it looms forever in the present, then God and I are finished. It, it's the same way today, says Martin Isles, in our present dilemma. There is nothing else that will work. And by failing to approach the issue this way, we keep people in the bond of slavery to the past just as much as we imposed that upon them in our oppression of them. We're recommitting the same sin is what he's saying. Rather than putting people in physical bonds and chains, we're putting them in spiritual bonds and chains by focusing on the past rather than preaching forgiveness. And that's what Eddie Huff was telling me when he objected to this conservative Republican's call for tax-based, and business-incentive-based reparations. It's a focus on the past. It's keeping the wrongs alive rather than 
burying them dead in the grave through the power of forgiveness. It's keeping people in the bond of slavery to the past just as much as we impose that, that bond upon ourselves. And Martin Niles says this, it's actually cruel because it's hopeless. It's going to end in disaster, he says, just like it has everywhere else. When you look at the history of nations that don't understand forgiveness, look at the conflict in the Middle East, for example. You've got one worldview, Islam, that doesn't understand forgiveness. Now, I'm going to have some people jump my case and say, well, that's not true. Look at the Quran, Syrah, whatever, whatever. No, but look at what look at the worldview and how it plays itself out. It's it it's a worldview of holding grudges for centuries. We're having wars right now because of centuries, not just centuries, millennia of hatred and sorrow. Yeah. People may say we're sorry, but there's no plea for forgiveness and there's no expectation that the offended is supposed to grant it and be done with it. Psalm 103, verse 10 says this, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God isn't giving us what we deserve. No, we're not getting what we deserve. Because our past warrants warrants more than we want. We're not getting rewarded according to our iniquities, and we're not being dealt with according to our sins. And that's, that's not the way God deals with us if we repent, confess, and accept the forgiveness that's given to us in Christ. That's the uniqueness, the, 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 the exceptionality of the Christian worldview. It's what Paul said when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.32. He said, Forgive as in Christ he forgave you. Forgive as in God Christ forgave you. That's the power of forgiveness. And that's where Eddie Heff was absolutely right. You know, I think of my letter, my open letter that got me on the national platform, the not a daycare stuff that you're well aware of if you listen to this show. I want to read to you Part of what I said in that open letter that caught everybody's attention when I was confronting the snowflake stuff, which is really a cry for retribution and reparation, me and mine, you offended me, it's your fault. It's the antithesis of forgiveness. It's I deserve, and it's you that needs to change, not me. This is the opposite of the gospel. In my letter, my open letter, the Not a Daycare letter, I said this, if you're more interested in playing the hater card than you are in confessing your own hate, if you want to arrogantly lecture rather than humbly learn, if you don't want to feel guilt in your soul when you are guilty of sin, if you want to be enabled rather than confronted, there are many universities across the land that will give you exactly what you want, but my university isn't one of them. And then I went on to say, at this university... We teach you to be selfless rather than self-centered. And we're more interested in you practicing. Listen, Listen to this. I want you to hear it right now. We are more interested in you practicing personal forgiveness than political revenge. 
We want you to model interpersonal reconciliation rather than foment personal conflict. We believe in the content of your character and that it's more important than the color of your skin. And we don't believe that you've been victimized every time you feel guilty. And we're not going to issue trigger warnings before altar calls. You know, I've said a hundred times since then, and a good a good sermon supposed to make you feel guilty. That's the point. We want you to confess your sins. We don't want you to feel comfortable about blaming everybody else for everything that's wrong. It's about forgiveness. You need it. You need it as much as everyone else. And when you recognize that you need to be forgiven for who you are, It's at that point in time that you become much less self-righteous and you start forgiving other people likewise. That's the beauty that held us together. That biblical worldview was the glue that held the United States together after the Civil War. We would have become irreparably divided had we focused on revenge and the past. That's the beauty that brought black and white together in the reconstruction of our nation after the Civil War. That's the beauty that brought Native and European people together during the building of the United States of America. Have people been victims of terrible sins of one group against another? Sure they have. All of us could probably say, I don't like that particular person or that particular group because they did this to me or they did this to my father, my grandfather, or my great-grandfather. Everyone can say that. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. We can all say it. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. We can all say it. The point of my open letter, my not-a-daycare letter, was to say, grow up. Adults forgive They don't hold grudges. Children demand a pound of flesh, but adults extend grace because they recognize that's the only way we can come together in unity. Why did I focus on content of character rather than the color of skin in my letter? Because I'm obviously referring to Martin Luther King Jr. because that was the seminal point that he made. That's what divided him from the others in the civil rights movement that were calling for division rather than unity. Martin Luther King Jr. recognized that we have to be selfless rather than self-centered, that when we're more interested in practicing political revenge rather than personal forgiveness that we're lost. He recognized that. And he modeled interpersonal reconciliation rather than fomenting personal conflict. That's why he said that he believed in the content of a person's character more, more so than the color of a person's skin. He said it. That's his quote. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that He stood for unity, a university, not a diversity. He he stood for an idea that uplifted what he called the human personality, uh, the human being. And he understood that any laws that divide, degrade. Divisive laws 
laws that focus on division rather than unity degrade the human personality and that they're unjust because it pits us against one another and one group is going to see itself as superior to the other. Uh, He said this, all segregation statutes are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the human being. Segregation, he said, to use the terminology of the Jewish philosopher Martin Buber, substitutes it for thou and ends up relegating persons to the status of things. Do you see that in the critical theory movement right now? You see uh, Hannah Nicole Jones, you see Nick Cannon, saying that there are certain human beings that are less human. They relegate certain groups to its rather than thou's. And Martin Luther King Jr. said that this is morally wrong and sinful. That's his quote. He said segregation is an existential expression of man's tragic separation from God, his awful estrangement our awful estrangement, our terrible sinfulness. This is Martin Luther King Jr. You know, this is why Martin Isles is spot on when he draws attention to the issue of forgiveness. And he's arguing that Western civilization, Australia, benefited from the assumption of a biblical worldview for close to 200 years because it was their, their model, their constitution, their culture, their country, their nation was grounded in this assumption. Am I claiming that everybody, is he claiming that everybody in Australia is a Christian? No, no. But the salt that kept their nation from rotting was the assumption of a biblical worldview that said, no, we're not going to hold grudges on the things that have been done wrong to our great-great-grandfathers, and we're not going to demand reparations from those people alive today with us and say, you are bad people. We are not. Give us what we deserve. No, that is not the foundation of Australia, and it's not what has led to a very homogenous, up until this point, a very homogenous and multicultural fabric of their country where they're unified rather than divided. But he's ringing the bell, and he's sounding the alarm that This focus in our public schools on critical theory and the divisive rhetoric and the divisive agenda that's endemic in that rhetoric is not going to end well because it's one, like my friend Eddie Huff said, it's one that focuses on self rather than a savior. It's one that focuses on you being the problem rather than accepting the responsibility I have in myself to recognize that I'm no better than you. I don't care what your father or forefathers did to my father and my forefathers. I'm no better than you. And I just need to forgive. And we need to lock arms in unity, not division, and move on in our quest for freedom. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.